This week on Tet Nisan is the yard site of the person who is known as the Tzaddik of Yushalayim, the Tzaddik in our time, the Bari Levin. I feel an interesting personal connection with the yard site of Rabbi Levine. For a few years, I lived in Pardes Chana, where I taught in a yeshiva high school. The Rav of Pardes Chana at that time was Harav Chaim Yaakov Levine, the son of Rabbi Levine. On the day that he had yard site, on Tet Nisan, the one year when I was there, I understood that they were driving to Yerushalayim and I wanted to go along with them. I didn't have a car and I asked if I could join them in the car. That way I also had the pleasure and the privilege of sitting with Rav Levine for a few hours. When he took me to Yerushalayim, on the way back, he said he'll pick us up. His son David drove the car and he said he'll pick us up and drive us back to Parizchana. I then realized I could do my shopping easier in Yerushalayim, where I had the advantage of having a car ride, and I bought a lot of preparations, I bought a lot of things for Pesach. The next year, before the yard site, Rabbi Levine called me up and said to me, I have yard site this week. When I have yard site, I already begin to smell the smell of the fish and the smell of the food that you brought in the car last year, so can we do it again this year? This is a typical act of simply thinking about other people, worrying about other people, which so was a sign of the family of Rebarie, his parents, his children, grandchildren. At one point in the car, Rav Chaim Yaakov Levine asked me, did you know my father? And when I said that I never saw him, I never met him, he looked at me with such a sad look. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Like, he really understood that anybody who met Rabbi Levine, anybody who felt his handshake, already felt a spiritual elevation just by seeing him, by saying hello to him, by shaking hands with him. People told me how when he used to shake your hand, he never held your hand with one hand. He always shook your hand and sort of stroked it with the other hand. And they say they felt a jolt of electricity going through their hand when Rabbi shook their hand. It is told that someone offered to buy him a pair of gloves. After all, he walked in the cold of Yushalayim and gloves were appropriate in the winter time. And he said, no, he doesn't want the gloves because how could he extend his hand to people if he's wearing gloves? You have to feel the hand of the person and therefore you shouldn't wear gloves at all. In the book Ishtadikaya and other books that were written about Rabbi Levine, they mention that the young ladies who he cared for so much when they were prisoners, when they were in sad situations in Yerushalayim, only felt the regret that Rabbi Levine would not shake their hand. He shook the hand of the of the prisoners, and apparently they really experienced something when they shook his hand, and this was missing 
for the young ladies for whom Rabbi would not shake shake their hand. A little bit of the biography of Rabbi is well known, as I mentioned, the book Ish Tzadikaya, translated into English at Tzadik in our time, is, I think, required reading for people to understand what a real Tzadik is. Someone commented about Rabbi Levine that I can't really believe he's one of the 36 Tzadikim, one of the Lamed Vavnikim, because that would somehow imply that there are 35 people in the world that are like him. And he just seems like one of a kind. It doesn't seem that anybody could match his Sitkis. He was born in the month of Nisan, in Poland in 1885, in a place near Bialystok. His family was poor. His father, Rabbi Yamin Bainish, was known as a person who learned, a person who was very, very dedicated to public work. People were always guests at their house, even though they had very little of their own. But the Tzidkus apparently has been seen in this generation, for gener- in this family for generations. Growing up, Rabbi Levine learned as other children in Poland in the Cheder, and eventually wound up in the Yeshiva of Slutsk, where Rabbi Zalman was the Rosh Yeshiva. There was a small Yeshiva. The beginning of it was a small group of students, the Yeshiva of Slutsk. Rabbi Sezaman later on renewed his relationship with, with Rabbi Levine in Yerushalayim, of course, years later. It seems that Rabbi Sezaman did not really, really remember Rabbi Aryeh stay in Slutsk, and apparently he was so tsanua, he was so modest, that he just what, didn't make himself well known. He stayed in poor conditions in Slutsk, he did not have a benefit of having a hotel room, a dormitory room. He just sat and learned and more or less slept in the base medrash or wherever he could find a place. It, it seems that years later, Rabbi Zalman actually asked him to be mochel him, to forgive him for the lack of attention that he got. But it seems that he was just so modest, so tzanua, that people really did not realize who he was. It was in years later that people really understood at least a little bit who this man was, and he was recognized as, as a tzaddik. Now, to be a tzaddik is one thing, but to be recognized as a tzaddik, that everybody knows you're a tzaddik, is something else completely. It's obviously such unbelievable behavior that you come to the attention of the world. What was not brought to the attention of the world, of the world is that he was a lamdin as well. The story is told about another great Gadol, who was known as a famous tzaddik, but he was not known as a major Tamad Chacham. But indeed, he was a Tamad Chacham. So people say that he was, the reason he was not known as a Tamad Chacham is because he recognized his own capability in learning, and therefore he prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he not be famous in the world of Torah. He wanted to keep a low profile, to be modest, and therefore he said, I do not want to be known as a Tamad Chacham. And since Ritzon Yerei of since HaKadosh Baruch Hu fulfills the wishes of those that, that truly fear him, this wish apparently was answered, and he was not known as a big Tamad Chacham. But then the question obviously arises, so, if he really was so modest and didn't want to be known as a Tamad Chacham, 
and that was kept, why was he known as a tzaddik? Why didn't the same person, Davin, that he should not be known as a tzaddik? And the answer was given that he never really thought he was a tzaddik. A person that can be aware of your own intellectual acumen and realize that what you've accomplished in Gemara and learning in Torah and therefore pray that you not be known for it, but it would, this person just thought that his behavior is not extraordinary. It's, this is what every normal person should do. And therefore he did not daven that he should not be known as a tzaddik. A statement like this could be applied to Abari Levine, certainly. He did everything in such simplicity and such modesty that he didn't realize that people really considered him such a, a, a tzaddik. In 1905, Rabbi went on Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, and there he married the sister-in-law of Rabbi Pesach Frank, who became the Rav of Yerushalayim. He received smicha, Rabbi Levine received smicha from Rav Kook, from Rabbi Shmuel Salanter, Chaim Berlin. Apparently his prowess in learning was certainly known by them. The poverty in Eretz Yisrael at that time was great, his personal poverty certainly was lived with him the, his entire life. And for a brief trip, he went to Chutzlaretz to see if he could somehow pull himself out of this situation. But he did not stay long in Chutzlaretz. He was, went through Paris to London. And in 1917, we find him in Eretz Yisrael, <coughs> where he became the Mashgiach of Eitz Chaim. Of children, it's Chaim. He was the mashgiach of people that really loved him. And he loved them. He dealt with his children day in and day out. And the love that he felt for them just was automatically reciprocated and felt by everyone. Being known as his reputation began to spread as a major tzaddik when the British had imprisoned the people who were at that time considered terrorists or the people who fought to have a free state of Israel were put into prison, Rabbi Levine was chosen as the person who would have official rights to visit them. And he was known as the Rav HaAsirim. He did this all the time Shabbos and Yantif, he went to the, walked to the prisons and he became known as Rava Asirim, but he did it without remuneration at all. The condition was that he would not be repaid. Again, a story that I heard from his son, Rav Chaim Yaakov Levine, is very illustrative to me in that respect. One year, I came to Rav Levine after Rosh Hashanah, between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, and I asked him where he davened. Rabbi Levine had a beautiful voice, besides many other talents, and he very often <coughs> davened for the Amud in the shul, in the main shul of Padis Chana. And I asked him where he davened Rosh Hashanah. So he told me the first day he davened in the shul, in the main Bet Knesset of Padis Chana. And the second day he walked to Machanesh Monim, to the army base, which is a little distance away from Padis Chana, from his home. I asked him, why did you go to Machanesh Monim for, for Rosh Hashanah? And he told me that Erev Rosh Hashanah, 
a group of fellows came to see him in Pardiskana and told Rav Levine that there were a number of his Dernikim, a number of yeshiva men who would be in Machanesh Manim for Rosh Hashanah and they asked if the rabbi would come there and daven with him. And his response was, Nachshav I'll think about it. He told me when he said Nachshav he meant that there's not a chance in the world that he's going to go. He thinks it should be a good idea, but it's a long walk and he's not going to go. The first day of Rosh Hashanah, he davened in shul, and in between the first day and the second day, that night he slept, went to sleep, and his father appeared to him in a dream. And his father said to him, why didn't you go to, to the Machanesh Monim? Why didn't you go with the soldiers? And Rav Levin answered his father and said, it's a long distance, it's a big walk. His father said, but I also took big walks. I took long walks. And I always did it. Why shouldn't you do it? So the son, Rav Chaim Yaakov, answered, which meant, my legs are not so dexterous. I'm, I have problems walking. and It's too far for me to walk. So Rabbi's answer was, I also had difficult, difficulties walking. But it never stopped me from going. Rav Chaim Yaakov said that he answered, okay, maybe you had shvera fees, but you had a very big heart, and your big heart could carry your feet. The father's answer was, if you don't have a heart like that, I never want to speak to you again. And that was the end of the dream. Rav Levine said the next morning he woke up and ran to Machanesh Monim. The family consideration for Tzitkis, the feelings of what the father wanted from the son, from the relationship they had, can be so illustrated by such a, a simple story. When Rav Levine was known, Rabari Levine was known as such a tzaddik, so we see a few incidents in his life where people turned to him because he was known as the tzaddik Vishalayim. In 1948, the year of the establishment of the State of Israel, the year of the fall of Gush Etzion, when those 35 soldiers, well, not actual soldiers, but students, came to help rescue the, the Gush, and they were massacred, so they didn't know how to bury them. And they turned to Rabbi Levine, who did a mystical idea that I really don't understand, called Goral Hagra, the lottery of the Vilnagon, to determine which body belonged in which grave. That also shows how people automatically recognized him for his sitkis and his extraordinary talents. For years, he was the he was the Baltfila of Merkaz Harav. He was chosen to be the Baltfila and the Yeshiva of Merkaz. Stories about Rabbi Levine are so many. Anybody who wishes to can read that book that I mentioned or other books. There's just one story, perhaps, that I'd like to recount. It's one of my favorites. Rabbi used to love all his children and he called the people who he dealt with, the prisoners, the fighters, he called them his children. One day, years later, one of these young ladies went to Rabbi Levine and said to him she's getting married and she'd like him to come to the chasana. And he explained that he was old and infirm and it was difficult for him to come to the chasana. She was very disappointed. And she looked, obviously, so hurt. So Rabbi tried to make her feel better and said, please don't misunderstand. 
my own grandchildren can get married today and I won't be able to go because I don't, I'm not well. She said, Rebbe, if that's the cause, then you have to come to my wedding. Maybe to your grandchildren you can't come, but you said we're your children. To your children you will come. And according to the story, he did come. Rabbi Levine's stories, again, are so unbelievable. There's so many stories that we should try a little bit to emulate the ways of Rabbi, at least read about what he, who he was and some of the tzitkus. But don't forget, he was also a Tamit Chacham. His yard site is Tet Nisan. He died in 1969. Yehei Zichro Baruch.